is the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. And today on the podcast, we have part five in our series, Fellowship of the King, a series in which we're looking at what it means to live as kingdom people under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject of money, generosity. What's it mean for us as kingdom people when it regards our income, our resources, our stuff? How are we supposed to deal with that stuff in the kingdom of God? And just a quick reminder as well, we have our Connect groups meeting uh, various places on the North Shore Monday through Thursday. You can visit our website for details and directions. And also be sure to check out our daily devotionals Monday through Friday as part of the Lent season, 40 Days of Faith, readings with reflective questions. All right, let's head over to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Ah, so this is a song written by Bob Dylan, recorded back in the 70s called Serve Somebody. So when I say, you got to serve somebody, you go like this. All right, ready? You got to serve somebody. Serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Yeah! All right. An ambassador to England or France You may like to gamble You may like to dance You may be the heavyweight champion of the world You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls But you're gonna have to serve somebody somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody It may be the law, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper and you may be a young Turk. Maybe you're the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. Maybe blind or lame Living in another country Under another name But you're gonna have to serve somebody somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody somebody. Oh, well, it might be the devil It might be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody. Serve. 
Yeah, you may like to wear cotton and you may like to wear silk. You may like to drink whiskey and you may like to drink milk. You may like to eat caviar, you may like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on a cold concrete floor, maybe sleeping in a king south bed, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Hey, it may be the devil, it may be the law, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Now, yes. Uh, well, the song actually does serve a, a purpose this morning. Um, today, we, we've been in the last few weeks looking at what does it mean to be people living in God's kingdom when we live, obviously, in the kingdoms of this world. What's it mean to live as if Jesus is king, even though we live in a world that doesn't typically seem to do that? So, I started off this series talking about being motivated by love, that love has to be the the driving force in our life. Uh, uh, The week after that, I talked about learning how to do our work, our jobs, as unto the Lord, that we're not just working for a paycheck. We're living lives of worship to God. We're not just serving our boss. We're actually serving God. We're not just, uh, you know, when we love our wives, we love our kids, we're, we're loving God. Last week, I talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the central uh, aspects to, to living kingdom life, that we don't get caught up in revenge and holding grudges like the rest of the world does, but we're submitted to Jesus, and we realize that because we've been forgiven, we extend forgiveness to other people. And today, we're going to turn our attention now to the way to deal with money in the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of the world. And so I want to read today Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to do 19 through 21 and verse 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroyed and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Nobody can serve two masters. Otherwise, they will either hate the first and love the second or be devoted to the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and wealth. You got to serve somebody. (laughs) Your Bible may have translated this, you can't serve God and mammon. You ever heard of that before? Mammon. Uh, Hang on. I'm i got to tie my shoe before I trip up here. Uh, 
When Jesus, mammon is actually the word that Jesus used, and it was kind of the personification of, of, of the desire for money. It was looking at, at money as, as a, a, you know, the desire for that, serving it as, as serving a god, a, a deity, a, a demonic force of evil in the world. And Jesus said, you can't set your heart on that and God at the same time. You can't have it both ways. We like to think that we could serve money and serve God. But Jesus says, if you start serving money, you're, you're going to neglect the things of God. You're going to neglect God's kingdom. You're going to be concerned with, with things that don't matter. Things that corrupt. Things that, that moths eat and rust destroys. You can't serve both God and money. The kingdoms of this world are characterized by a lust for power, by greed, by self-preservation. When was the last time you heard of a, of a, of a nation on planet Earth that said, eh, we got enough money, we're good, <laughs> we got enough land, we got enough jobs, we're, we're fine. No, they, they never are satisfied. That's the nature of the kingdoms of this world. It's greed, it's lust for power, it's lust for control, it's more, more, more. And the kingdom of God is the total opposite of that. You can't serve God and money. Now, I got to tell you, when I read stuff in the scriptures, when it talks about money, I I usually think about people like Warren Buffett, right? You ever think about that? Like, I don't consider myself very rich. You know, I kind of think I'm, you know, by standards in America, you know, I'm middle class, but I don't think of myself as a rich guy. Do you remember back in the fall, there was uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement? Did you ever see any of these signs that said, we are the 99%, right? And, and, the, and the idea behind that was that 1% of the people in this country, particularly the Wall Street types, had screwed up the country for the rest of us by bad business deals, by shady practices, corruption, and greed. And, and while there is certainly some truth to that, it's, the, the blame probably needs to be spread around a little bit more. We all probably play some part. But what's interesting is these people holding up the 99% sign, we are the 99%, that may be true in, in one sense, but if you live in America today, you're really statistically probably in the top 5%, and I'm going to probably let you know that, that most of you are probably in the top 1% of the world. <laughs> We're richer than we think. Let me, let me explain this. The median income in the United States, median yearly income, that's median's different from average. It's like if you pick the one right in the middle of, of all the incomes in the United States, the median income would be $50,000, $50,233. That's the median. If you make over $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of income on planet Earth. And there's only about 60 million people on planet Earth out of the 7 billion that make more money than you. Richer than you thought, maybe. If you only make $40,000 a year, you're still in the top 3% of income in the whole world. The median world income, okay, median, median for United States was $50,000. Median world income... $850. The average income on planet Earth, if you average out all the incomes on planet Earth, the average yearly income on planet Earth is 
And this would, would be typical if you lived in Mexico or Chile. More than half of the world lives on less than two American dollars a week. While the average American teenager spends $150 a week. 40% of the world lacks basic sanitation. I mean, basic sanitation. I've been to a lot of parts of the world that lack that. I mean, just basic things like toilets and sewers. I've been to a lot of places in the world where sewage is something going in a drainage ditch between homes. One billion people on planet Earth don't have access to clean drinking water. One billion. 75% of the people in the third world, which would be the 50 poorest nations, have no access to electricity. There are about 600 million cars in the world right now, including light trucks, minivans, SUVs. And out of that number, you know how much America owns? Out of, out of the, Americans own 240 million of those 600 million cars. Almost half of the cars in the whole world are owned by Americans. Truth is, one-third of American families own three cars. What about home sizes? If you've ever traveled around the world, even to, to nice parts of the world, you realize that uh, home sizes in America are uh, pretty big. Well, actually, we're at the top of the list. The, the, the next in line would be Australia. And they're about, the average home size in Australia is about eight, eight, 80 square foot less than America. So America and Australia are there. The average size home in America is the size of this church building, 2,300 square foot. If you take America and Australia off the list, the next one on the list would be Denmark, and it's 800 square foot lower than the United States. The next one on the list would be Great Britain, and their homes, their average home is home size is 1,500 square foot less than the average home in America. We're rich, aren't we? I mean, we're stinking rich. In 2008, the U.S. accounted for 48% of global military spending. That's more on defense than the next 45 countries on the list combined. (laughs) Only the wealthiest people throughout the history of the world had any close to the standard of living that the middle class in America enjoys today. Only the wealthiest, I mean, we're not talking the wealthiest people on planet Earth right now. We're talking in the entire history of the world, only the wealthiest people enjoy the standard of life that most of us just kind of take for granted. If you have a home or apartment, whether you rent or whether you're paying it off, and you have a place to sleep, you're rich, (laughs) If you have electricity and running water, you're rich. If you have a refrigerator and a freezer, an oven, a microwave, a toilet, a bathtub, and a shower, you're rich. If you have one or more TVs, one or more cars, if you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, if you've got food in the pantry and food in the refrigerator, you are rich. We are a lot richer than we think. We are the 1%, or at least the top 3, 
It's easy when we read stuff in the scriptures to think when, when Jesus is talking about rich people is, oh, yeah, he's talking about Warren Buffett. He's, he's talking about that guy over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stick it, to the, stick it to the 1%. But it, it's you. It's me. <laughs> we're, we're that guy. <laughs> we're the one that Jesus is talking about. And sadly, and, and look, I'm not trying, look, I'm not trying to make everybody feel guilty about the fact that you, you had food to eat and a car to drive here today, okay? That's not the point. I'm just trying to wake us up that we're richer than we think. And, and statistics show in the United States that the wealthier become, the lower percentage of income people give away. It, it seems backwards. Actually, the, the people who give the most in the United States statistically are people who make below 20000 or above 100000 and And I find this true in my own life. You know, when me and Dina got married, I was... Uh, musician. There's lots of money to be made in Hammond, Louisiana, when you're a musician. <laughs> so I was playing music and working odd jobs doing, uh, you know, landscaping. For the first three or four years of our marriage, we were several thousand dollars below the poverty line in Louisiana, which is probably a lower line than most states. But we committed in our hearts that we were going to be generous I didn't know from month to month where my money was coming from. It wasn't like I, I had a steady income. Some months were good. Some months were not so good. But we decided from the beginning that, that we were going to be generous. I only found that, that when I got my first job with a steady paycheck, it actually got harder to be generous. Have you ever noticed that? Like when we, were, when we were making below the poverty line, we were generous. We would give of our possessions. We would easily give of our money and, and, and time, and it wasn't a big deal. But then when you start getting money, it's like, wow. You know, a couple of years ago, we decided to plant this church. And I got to tell you, after having a steady paycheck for seven years and health benefits, it was hard. It was hard to say, God, we're going to go plant a church. We had no guarantees that anybody was going to support us. You know, nobody's going to, we didn't know if anybody's going to give us money to start this thing. And we didn't know if people were going to actually show up and give any money. And so it was really scary. And I realized at that moment that, that it was so easy to trust in a steady paycheck. It was so easy to, to just trust in, 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 in everything that was coming in. And it actually became harder to trust God because things were so good. You know, the average person who attends church, well, I'll say this first. Most Americans spend 98% of their income on themselves. We're the richest of the rich on, on planet Earth, and most Americans spend 98% of their income on themselves. And it's not that different for the church. Statistics in church giving, absolute statistics, the average person in church gives less than 3% of their income. We ought to pause for a moment because Jesus frequently criticized the rulers of his day for being preoccupied with maintaining a religious exterior while their hearts were full of greed and wickedness. Jesus told the Pharisees that on numerous occasions. You look great on the outside. Yay! But you're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're, you're filled with greed on the inside. You know, the way the world works 
it, it lures you into thinking that you possess things and that your life is in possessions. The truth is that whatever we think we possess actually possesses us. You ever notice that? Owning things doesn't give us life. It sucks the life out of us. Perpetual hunger for more is a demonic bondage. We can't serve God and money. See, in the kingdom of God, if, if you read the book of Acts, it's exciting. Like the first, the, the second chapter of Acts, when the church was actually born, I mean, there was all kind of crazy things God was doing, and that was, that was pretty amazing. But, but what I find even more amazing than some of that stuff is the fact that the first Christians, what they naturally did was they took their hands off their possessions. They, they didn't consider their possessions theirs. <laughs> they didn't possess anything. They gave as to, to help each other. They, they, they didn't see that this is my stuff, my house, my car. <laughs> they didn't have cars, but uh, they didn't consider it mine, mine, mine. They said it, it's God's. It's all God's. And if God wants me to give something to help this guy out or this person out, then that's cool because he's just loaning it to me. That's the kingdom mentality. The mentality of this world is mine, mine, mine. I got to get more stuff, get more stuff, get more stuff. The kingdom of God is realizing that it's all God. Anything I have, it all belongs to God. It's only when I start holding on to it <laughs> that I stop moving, I start moving out of that, the, the kingdom mentality into the kingdoms of this world. You know, I have, I have said on many times that, you know, money itself isn't bad. It's what you do with it. And that's true, right? I mean, you can do good things with money, bad things with money. But we need to put an asterisk by that. <laughs> because the New Testament, from Jesus to Paul to James to Peter, they all are, are unanimous on saying that, that while money is neutral, you've got to treat it as a, a substance that can corrupt you. <laughs> money is seen as one of these things that has, has the ability to corrupt people like no other substance on planet Earth except maybe power. <laughs> money, like power, should only be used with the utmost of soberness. The New Testament tells us that money itself isn't bad, but it easily corrupts those who use it. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says, God, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What Paul's hitting at is what Jesus said. You can't serve God and money. If you start serving money, you are going to wander from the faith. You're going to stop trusting God. You're going to stop being generous. You're going to stop participating in what God's doing. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But when we look at the kingdom, we see that the kingdom of God is characterized by lavish, 
generosity. The best thing we can do for ourselves is to decide to not live for ourselves. You, you want to experience life? Decide, I'm not going to just make money for myself. I'm not just going to work a job for myself. The best thing we can do in the kingdom of God is to decide, I'm not living for me. And when we do that, we learn to live simply. I love Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of God. Lord, just help me to live simply. Help me to live simply with what you've given. Help me to be satisfied with that. Kingdom generosity is characterized by living unselfishly. That, that, that we realize that, that we get to participate in what God's doing. And I'm not just talking about giving to church. Let me, let me understand, help you understand. This isn't just a message to, to get you to drop. We're not going to pass the offering basket around again at the end of this message, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about being generous in life in general. That you could be willing to share of your stuff with people on your job, people in the community, people on your block, people in your family, that we live unselfishly, that we live in the example of Jesus. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't live that way. Don't live trying to appeal to people, you know, look, look good on the outside. Don't live from your own selfish desires. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Is he really living the kingdom life? It's just living like Jesus. Jesus gave up all the riches of the kingdom of heaven to enter into our world, to reconcile us to God. He was not being selfish. He was not self-interested. He wasn't all about his stuff. He humbled himself. And Paul said, in your relationships with others, do that. Do that. Kingdom generosity looks like Jesus. I want to look, you know, we kind of, the words of Jesus kind of give us a, 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 a broad view of things, but I, I want to look at what Paul says to a church when he, uh, when he tries to get specific on, on what giving, what generosity, what kingdom generosity looks like in the life of the church. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 11, Paul writes this, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. In verse 10, he says, Now, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Why should we be generous? Well, I'd go back to what I said last week about why should we be forgiving? Why should we be forgiving? Because we realized we were extended a forgiveness that, that, was, that, that paid a debt we could never repay. We've, we, we can be forgiving because God's forgiven us. We can be gracious because God's given grace to us. We can be merciful because we've received God's mercy. We can love others because God has loved us. In the same way, we are generous because we realize God has given us the, the most costly thing ever in Jesus. I, don't, I hate to call him a thing. The, the, the most costly gift. Thank you. That's a good word. Let me write that down. Gift. God has given the most costly gift to you and I. And, and, and being generous is living in the reality that we realize that. That, you know, I, I said last week, we, we, stop getting, we stop forgiving other people when we start forgetting God forgave us. You know, when we forget how God's forgiven us of all this debt, we, we can kind of hold grudges against people. But, but every time we get into worship and we sing songs like, Praise the Lord, O my soul, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, as far as the east is from the west, He's removed our sins from us. How can you not extend Mercy and forgiveness and compassion and grace to other people. The same thing goes for giving. When we realize how much God has given to us, how can we not be generous? We're generous because God is generous. How should we give? Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves... A cheerful giver. Now, I got to tell you, my first eight or ten years as a Christian, I attended churches where it was common, before you got the message, you would get another message that would be 15 to 20 minutes long. Anybody been to those churches? And the message would be on giving and on the offering. But more times than not, those messages would be trying to guilt people or shame people or manipulate people into giving. You ever been manipulated into giving before? Oh, that's funky. I hate that. I hate it when you walk out going, man, I feel like I was just pressure. Like somebody was just pushing my, what happened to me in there? (laughs) And Paul says, don't give like that. Don't give because you feel guilty or because you're trying not to be cursed or trying to be blessed or or feeling manipulated. Don't, don't, Don't give because of those reasons. Give cheerfully. We give because we're excited that, we're, lucky. We're just lucky bums. <laughs> We're just happy to be here. <laughs> I mean, anything else I get apart from Jesus is just gravy. It's lanyap. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> we give cheerfully. Secondly, we give prayerfully. Uh, Paul says we consider and let every person consider in their heart what they're going to give. That means we, we don't just give out of impulse the, the moment... We see something. We actually talk to God about it. You know, a few months ago, there was a good friend of mine who um, I was talking to. He, he had sent me an email one day, and he had this certain tool of his trade that he was trying to sell and asked if I was interested, and I, I wasn't. But I talked to him a couple of months later, and, and 
I said, hey, man, did you sell that thing? He's like, oh, yeah, I sold that. And, uh, and then I found out why he sold it. And he, it's because he'd been without a job for a while, and he was running out of money. And so he, he had to, and it was heartbreaking to me because I'm like, why, why would this guy sell that? <laughs> I get off the phone with him, and I felt like God said, you got an extra one? <laughs> Call him up. And so I did. I called him up, and I gave it to him. Now, and, and he, was, he was really grateful. But around that same time, there was another friend of mine who lives in another state, and I was talking to him on the phone, and his business was in a really bad spot. I mean, things were as bad as they'd ever been, and he's got young kids, and, and, and my heart was breaking. I was like, God, should I just write a check and help him out right now? And I felt like God said, no. You just keep praying for him. And so I did. I kept praying for him. And I talked to him a few weeks ago. And it's interesting because in, in, in the intervening months, God has brought him to a place that had I given him money, I probably would have delayed what God was trying to, to show him. And now he's in a place where God is showing up and, 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 and things are happening like they haven't happened in years in his life. I say those two things to say that I involved God in the process. I wasn't just giving because there was a need. I wasn't just giving because I felt guilty. I was asking God. I was listening to God. Give cheerfully, prayerfully, and give intentionally. Now, I don't know how many of you in here get a steady income, but probably a lot of you. You you can at least budget what comes in. I have found that we budget in our house what we give. We set aside a percentage of our income just for giving. Now, if you've been at this church very long um, or you've come to our Bible class, I, I've, I've talked about I don't agree with the principle of tithing. I don't believe it's a New Testament principle, at least as far as I believe it was an old covenant principle that had to do with the priesthood and the temple and all that. Um, I don't think there's any, there's nothing in the New Testament that says it's a carryover, although a lot of pastors do. And I'm, I know I'm a minority of pastors. Most of, I don't have any friends that believe that, that are pastors. But I've got a few pastors that believe that, but they won't say that to their church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I believe it, but I'm okay with them believing something else. <laughs> uh, so I don't believe that tithing gets you blessed or, or keeps you from being cursed as a Christian. I believe in Jesus, you're as blessed as you're ever going to be. That said, I think tithing can be a good thing. I think it's good to set aside, and heck, I mean, we're the richest people on planet Earth, right? If you can't set aside 10% of your income to give, then, you know, maybe, maybe you're not living simply. I think living in a realm where, and, and I'm not saying 10% is the thing. Some of you, it could be 20%. Some of you, you're, you're barely scraping by. You could, you could do 1%, 2%, whatever. I'm not trying to do percentages here this morning. I'm just saying New Testament Christianity is asking God, God, this is all yours. What percentage of this can I set aside every month for giving to what you're doing? What percentage? Because I found if I don't budget stuff to, to give, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to spend it on myself or, or whatever. So 
Well, I don't believe in the principle. I, I was in churches so often that, that always guilted you and, and said, you know, you're going you're to get cursed or you're not going to get blessed if you don't give this 10%. And, and I did that for years out of guilt and compulsion. And, and finally one day I realized, I was like, I don't think that's in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. But I do say for, for years we give, we set aside 10% of our income. But the other thing is, and this is one reason I've, I'm opposed to tithing, because I think it lets some people off the hook. You kind of think, oh, I wrote my 10%, that's all I have to give. I got to tell you, there's some months where we give 20% of our income. There's some months where we give more than that, some months where we give less. But we're involving God in the process, and I'm setting that money aside. Now, here's another thing. There was a, a friend of mine uh, a, a, a few months ago who called me up. He said, he goes to this church, and he said, look... Um, if you check on people who, who give at the church, you're probably going to notice that I haven't been giving much to the church, you know, dropping it in the basket lately. And I just wanted to let you know, it's not because I don't believe in supporting the church. I do, but there there's just been needs. That I, I come to church every week, and, and then I bump into somebody who has a need in their life, and I feel like God's been telling me to, to, to actually give the money to the, the, the people that he puts across my path. And so I've been doing that, but I want you to know that... that um, uh, that, that that's what's going on, just in case you're wondering, like, if, if I'm not giving anymore. And, uh, and I hope that's okay. You know what I told him? I said, brother, you're in sin. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> you need to repent. Write another check to North Shore Vineyard. No. Uh, <laughs> well, here's what I told him. Number one, I don't know what you give because I don't know what anybody gives in here. Faith, who sings this morning, she's our bookkeeper. I don't see anything. I see the balance in the account each week because i got to find out if we got money there. You know, I, I check on that. We doing good? Okay. All right. Uh, we'll keep, keep, keep paying the bills. Great. But the second thing is, I told him, I was like, I am thrilled that that's what you're doing because what that shows me is you're listening to God and you are actually, you're, you're still giving to the church. I mean, you may not be dropping it in the basket, but you are seeing the needs of people in the church and you are listening to God and you're being motivated by that. I'd like to see more of that. That's not discouraging to me because you know what? As a pastor, I just got to trust God for the income in this church too, just like everybody else. And God's taking care of us, more than taking care of us. We're probably top 1%. We're probably one of the richest churches on planet Earth. (laughs) <laughs> we are no in Christ we are we give cheerfully we give prayerfully we give intentionally we invite God into it second thing oh I gotta hurry up here <laughs> second thing actually it's number six on my list I don't know what it is on yours uh, <laughs> uh, Paul talks about sowing and reaping now, I've got to say, in my years as a Christian, I've heard this scripture abused probably as much as anything by the prosperity gospel. If you want to be blessed, just write a check, and God's going to give you 60-fold, 100-fold, whatever, you know, and, and, and I guarantee this is going to work. That's not really what Paul's getting at here. <laughs> what sowing reaping is not, sowing and reaping is not giving to get. Last week, I said on forgiveness that there's all kinds of benefits to forgiveness. I mean, they've done studies that people who forgive 
have lower blood pressure. They, they've got less stress. They're, they're happier. There's all kinds of spiritual, physical, emotional benefits to being forgiving. But I also said, if you're just trying to forgive people so you can experience the benefits, it don't work like that. <laughs> it's like trying to love somebody so you can get them to love you back. What you get from them won't be love. That's codependency. And the same thing is true of, of giving. There are benefits to giving, no doubt. There are great benefits to giving, but we don't give because we get benefits. Because that can very easily become greed covered up with a Christian veneer. Secondly, we don't give out of superstition. You know, back in Paul's day, when Paul was writing letters to these churches, most of these churches, whether it's Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, they had pagan temples in their, in their area. Like Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I, th- I believe it was a temple to Diana. This thing was massive. Corinth had a massive temple, employed like a thousand people. But if you were in business in one of these towns, what you would do, you'd go to the local temple and, and you would... Uh, make a sacrifice at the temple, and then you might buy an amulet from the priest, a good luck charm to, to protect you so the gods are on your side. And that was great. But the only problem is, with these old temples, you, you, you couldn't just buy blessings, you could also buy curses. And so how are you going to feel if, if you got a little deli in Corinth, and all of a sudden you see the deli down the street, and that guy's heading to the temple? Is he heading down there to get blessings, or is he going down there to get a curse tablet to put a curse on his competitor? And so you could see the insecurity that would, would develop in paganism. I mean, it's like, did, did, did I keep enough gods off my back? And, and, and do I have enough amulets? And, and, and honestly, the pagan temples, the reason they were so big, they were money-making machines. They were selling blesses and curses. and I mean, it's, it's great. But unfortunately, I've found that in Christianity... Many times, superstition becomes our motivator for giving. Like, i got to give God something so I'm blessed, so I'm not cursed, so the devil's not going to get on my back. And, and if I'm experiencing hard times, oh, it's because I, I must not have given enough. Maybe I, I, I should have given more than 10%. Maybe I should have... And, and it's like, dude, that, that's not what Paul's getting at. Paul was actually trying to fight that way of thinking. <laughs> we don't give to get, and we don't give out of superstition. What is sowing and reaping? Well, sowing and reaping, it's a spiritual discipline and it's a spiritual principle. You know, wanting to be a better guitar player is not going to make me a better guitar player. I'd really love to be a great guitar player. I could even go get a guitar. But if I don't start practicing with that guitar, is it going to happen? No. The same thing goes for the kingdom of God. Wanting to be a more loving, forgiving, peaceful person, that stuff ain't just going to happen. And if you're waiting for God to just do all that, it's not going to happen. It involves sowing and reaping. If you want to learn to be a more forgiving person, you've got to start right where you're at. If you want to be a more loving person, you've got to start right where you're at. Paul uses an analogy from gardening, from agriculture, this fruit and vegetables appear. I, I, did, I did a failed, you know, not a totally failed garden. I got some fruit uh, a couple of years ago when we were planting this church. I decided to plant a garden. But did, did I have fruit the day after I put the seeds in the ground? No. 
I didn't have it for a week or two or three. I, it was a couple of months before I actually had tomatoes that I could eat. And, and Paul is getting at a process here that we, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we sow into that. We, we learn the habits of not being selfish, of, of, of sowing into what God's doing, and it begins to change us over time. We reap the rewards of it. We reap the fruit of it. And by the way, it's not just money. I mean, Paul says that God will make you rich in every way, but one of the foremost things he said is that you will be, uh, have a harvest of righteousness. Now, how can you, what, what is Paul getting at? In Christ, you're as righteous as you're ever going to be. But Paul's saying, you are going to learn what right living looks like. Because the way our world lives, it ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. It's messed up. And Paul says, when you sow to the Spirit of God with your time, your possessions, your income, you reap a harvest of righteousness. You start learning to live a life that is guided by peace and joy and patience. Who can't have more of that? (laughs) Sowing and reaping is an important part of our spiritual uh, formation. Like gardening, generosity is a discipline that yields good fruit in in our lives. When we learn to do that on a regular basis, it helps us to learn to trust God. You know, one of the reasons we could finally step out and plant this church, even when there was, you know no guarantee of anything <laughs> is because we'd learned how to trust God when we didn't have anything. Back in those years when we were living below the power, we learned how to trust God then. And actually we started saying, you know, it's going to be kind of cool to step out and have to trust God like that again. We learn to love others with our resources. We learn humility. We learn the true value of the intangibles of life. You know, there, there's no person lying on their deathbed that's going to say, man, I wish I'd have spent 10 more hours a day at the office. <laughs> or 10 more hours a week. Maybe not 10 more hours a day. I wish that, that looking back on my life, I wish I would have watched more reality television. <laughs> no, when you're laying on your deathbed, you're going to say, I wish I'd have spent more time with the ones I love. I wish I'd have been there. I wish I would have experienced the intangible things of life, the things that really matter. I wish I'd have been there for that. When you learn a lifestyle of sowing and reaping into what God's doing, when, when you're continually letting go of your income and your possessions, you, you, you learn to value things that money can't buy. Oh, that's good. I'm about to preach. <laughs> and we learn... A contentment regardless of our circumstances. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, the same Apostle Paul who wrote this stuff about sowing and reaping, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul wrote this in prison. A lot of people try to make Paul's words about the prosperity gospel that God just wants to give you this and that and if you just sow into it. No. Paul was in prison. If he believed in the prosperity gospel, he was a pretty lousy practitioner of it. Because it seemed like the more he followed Jesus, the worse his life got. But he says, I've learned how to be content in everything. I've got the secret of happiness. I got Jesus. The last thing I want to say really quickly is... 
Paul hits on in verse 10. He says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, this is where the prosperity gospel misses it. God just wants to bless you to show that he loves you and, and, and give you, you know, all this stuff, whiter teeth, fresher breath, health, wealth, all that stuff, just because he loves you. That's a lie from hell. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. That's what Paul says. The whole reason for sowing and reaping here isn't so you can just keep getting more stuff. I got more stuff. Yay, God loves me. No. God loves other people too. And God wants to use you to be a blessing to other people. The point of this, you are not the point. You're a point in what God is doing. He's trying to bless others through what he's doing in you. John Wesley, the the guy who started the Methodist church, he wrote this. This is a good rule to live by. Make as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. I just want to end with a a, a quick uh, challenge here. Because i got to say, you know, Dina and I, I was telling her the other day, I... I want to, to, to sit down and, and look at our budget and, and start figuring out ways that we can live more simply. More simply? More simpler? Simpl- simpler. I want to figure that out. I mean, if you ever, it's, it's scary to look sometimes. If you've ever done this, you know, how much money do you spend on fast food and cable and all these things that really don't matter? I mean, how much money do we spend on that? And I just encourage you, wherever you're at, that, that, that you invite God into the process. Consider how you might live a life that is characterized by greater simplicity so you can be more of a blessing to others. Considering inviting God into your budgeting process and ask for direction in how your income can be set aside for giving to others. Sit down with your family and pray about the needs that God might use you to meet that come across your path. You know, one thing I, I'm, I'm planning on doing, I realized in preparing for this message, like I don't ever involve my kids in what we give. I mean, we write a check and it just gets, they don't know that we're giving. And, and I'm, I got to thinking, why don't we involve them in how, how we're going to spend some of that money? Involve them in asking God, God, what can we do with this money? What needs? Start teaching them to, to hear God. You know, last year we did a, I, I talked on money, and at the end, I, I said, we're going to pass around the offering, and some people are like rolling their eyes. But I said, this time I want you to take some money out of it, everybody. And, and those who came that Sunday were like, yes, no. Uh, I said, there's only one catch. You've got to spend this money on somebody else. And you've got to ask God what he wants to do. And, and so everybody went out, and that week they, they, they just asked God, where can I spend this money? Can I buy something for somebody? Is there a stranger, a random stranger that I need to bless? But, but the whole point of that was to involve God in the process. And the testimonies I got back from people who were asking God where to give it were, were incredible. Well, you can do that without us giving you money. You can do it with your own money. <laughs> Let's just invite God into the process. Because, dude, I want to be more generous. I, I, I was reading about uh, Rick Warren, you know, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I love what he does. He, he does reverse tithing. He made so much money off this Purpose Driven Life book that... He decided he's going to live on 10% of his income now. And he gives 90% of it away. 
In fact, he went back and paid his church for all his salary that he'd made for the 20 years before he wrote that book. I'm hoping to do that one day when I write a book, uh, you know. <laughs> We're hoping too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> all right, let, let's stand up. We got to get out of here. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay, God. We're... We're rich. Lord, we just thank you. We, we admit that today, God. We are, uh, we are so grateful for the ways you've blessed us, God. And, and God, we're, we're blessed more than we deserve, more than we could ever repay. And God, apart from our, our God, God, all our physical possessions, man, that's, that's gravy, Lord. <laughs> that's lanyard. That's the icing on the cake. We thank you that the biggest gift is you, Jesus. Lord, help us to live lives that show others what you're about. That, that extend your generosity to other people, that show people what the kingdom of God is like. Show us what that means. We invite you, Lord, into our finances, into our wallets, our bank accounts, our investments. We invite you into all that, God. We ask for your wisdom and your direction, Lord, that we could hear you in this area, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on.